0: Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Glory to God. Go to Matthew chapter 13 with me, if you will. Matthew chapter 13. I want to talk to you today. Um, you know, if I had to title it, I would maybe title it ears to hear. Can y'all say that with me? Say ears to hear. Look at your neighbor, say ears to hear. And look at your other neighbor and say heart to respond. Ears to hear and hearts to respond. Ears to hear and hearts to respond. You know, uh, I learned this statement early on. Someone had encouraged me when we were just beginning to pastor. They said, now just remember, it's not what you say, it's how they hear it. Just remember that when you're up in the pulpit preaching, it's not just what you say that determines, it's how they hear it. And you and I both know, we we uh, accumulate over time in our lives these lenses uh, and filters, don't we? Through experience, both poor and good, Uh just you know, just as much as the good ones, as the bad ones, they can develop um, uh, these lenses and filters in our life where what we, what God is really trying to say, is not really what we hear, and what God is really trying to uh, get across. And I have just felt this sense this in my spirit that going into this next year, I shared this with our uh, Elevate teams in our pre-service huddle this morning. Going into this next year, the church is going to have to have a heightened sensitivity and awareness to the voice of God, a heightened awareness and sensitivity to the voice of God. And I know that that can sound vague and churchy and and, and real dressed up, but at the end of the day, um, we are not going to be productive and effective just on the basis of practice alone. There has always been a value for, and there has always been an importance for, a necessity for God's people to hear his voice. And this is what I know. God is always speaking. This is what I know, is we have enough word. If God shut his mouth today and never said another word, we have enough in the past to live off of, to apply, to obey, to put into practice, that for the rest of our lives we could be, we we could be so busy just trying to live up to this. Not being hearers only, but doers as well. But this is what I also know is that revelation is progressive. Revelation's a funny thing because you don't get more until you have stewarded well with what you have. <laughs> you can say all day long, God, I want to hear your voice. And He's saying, What have you been doing with the last thing I showed you? What did you do with the last thing I told you? Sometimes it's not that we need a new word. We just want a different word. (laughs) Well, I didn't like that last one. You got another one in that bucket somewhere? You know, are there any more vowels? Are there any more letters that you can flip around? I mean, there's got to be more to this. And God's saying, just follow what I've given you. I've given you enough instruction. I've given you enough command. I've given you enough information. I've given you enough revelation. There's a lot of things that hinder us from stepping out and just simply doing, practicing, obeying the word that we already have. And I know going into this next year, there's going to need to be a heightened sensitivity. God never needs to get louder. Well, God, you didn't show me clearly enough. God, you didn't say it loud enough. God, you didn't confirm it with enough witnesses. You didn't give me enough prophetic words. I didn't get to enough uh, conferences and conventions. I I didn't make it to enough revivals. You didn't have prophet so-and-so say it. You didn't give me the booming voice and the angel and the bright light and the the quaking of the earth. No, he's giving you something far better than all of that. It's called the inward witness, the still small witness. Voice And maybe we are missing the small voice because we're looking for the great voice. Maybe we're missing just the soft, quiet, simple promptings in the spirit because we're looking for the big, extraordinary, sensational moment. And he'll do those things. And they're remarkable. But I believe the maturity of the believer is greatly uh, more identifiable in obeying in the small things than the great things. I heard one minister say one time that if he needs to give you all those uh, sensational things, that's only an indicator of your immaturity, not your maturity. Because the mature follow the small, simple commands and the still, small voice. In Matthew chapter 13, it's one of my favorite chapters, uh, because it's really the key that if you don't get Matthew 13, you don't get the rest of it. He's explaining not just a parable, but how parables work. In fact, he says in this passage, if you don't get the key to this, you'll miss everything else I have to say. God's word, you you, you must understand this about God's word, that there is just as much to understand in what God conceals as much as in what he reveals. What he hides is just as important as what he shows you. Now, God never hides us. We've talked about this before, so we're just giving you a reminder. God never hides things to keep something from us. God never conceals so that you'll never find out. He conceals in what Paul, later on in his writings, calls the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel. The one amazing. Tension of the word of God is there. God reveals enough of himself in the word to make it obvious, but he hides just enough to make it mysterious. Why? Because if I give you too much too quick, you won't value it. You won't honor it. It'll become monotonous to you. It'll become familiar to you. Um, He put it this way. Do not cast your pearls Before swine. So the word of God is not just in what he says, but in how he says it and in how he presents it to us understanding the parables and understanding what we learn in Matthew chapter 13, he begins there verse one through nine. He opens up with a multitude of people. I mean, we got throngs of people that said that there was 5,000 men, not counting women and children, right? So we know we're upwards 10, 15, maybe 20,000 people he's ministering to. Speaking to them in a parable, speaking to them in a Hidden language, so to speak, a story with a spiritual underlying meaning to it. That you must be like the disciples in verse 10. If you look at verse 10, they ask an odd question. The disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? This is an odd question because, number one, let's identify this. Look who's asking. It doesn't say the multitude came and said to him. It says the what? Disciples. What's a disciple? A learner and a follower. It's not one that just merely showed up on the side of a mountain and said, let's see what this guy has to say. A disciple was one that sold all they had. Left comfort, left home, left families, left jobs, left income, left familiarity, left everything they knew to what? follow, learn after, and follow Jesus and ultimately reproduce what Jesus was doing. Why? Because he said, greater works will you do than I have done, and even greater works you will do. Amen. You remember that. So that's a disciple. That's separate from the multitude. Verse one tells us that he's talking to a multitude. Verse 10 says, and the disciples, we, 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 we just, we just, whittled down from 20,000 to 12, just like that. You know, I've, I've, I've learned something about God. He knows how to do more with less. God has never been one of quantity over quality. Just give me 300. Just give me two spies out of the 10 that believe my word. Just give me one man that will stand for righteousness. Just give me a little shepherd boy. I don't even need your whole army. Just give me one little shepherd boy to defeat this guy, right? God has always worked with a minority. He's always worked with quality over quantity. He's always worked with a few. Is there a little joy? Is there a little uh, oil in the jar, in the house? And I'll make sure it never runs dry. It's the way God works, the way God operates. And so right here, his few disciples, I mean, we we, we don't know exactly. There was a 12, uh, obviously. Then you've got the three, you know, Peter, James, and John that were real tight-knit. We know at one point there was 70. In the upper room, there was 100. Jesus had followers of different degrees. It just says disciples. The disciples came. We know this. It's a very small group compared to the multitude. The disciples came and said, why do you... Speak to them. And that's not something we typically associate with the ministry of Jesus, that he was divisive, that he was exclusive. Why didn't everybody get everything? God's no respecter of persons. God is, God's no respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of faith. Hello? Everyone's been given a measure of faith. But there's only a, a, a certain, you know, he, he will respond to those that enact and believe and do and follow and apply more so than another. And the difference here is, is not, um, is not in, in the natural manifestation. It's in why are you talking to them differently? Why are you sharing something differently? with them than you are with us. They quickly recognize there's an us and there's a them. There's this few group, exclusive group over here, and then there's the multitude. Why don't you just share everything with them the way you're sharing everything with us? And the interesting part is the very Fact that they're asking this question is what qualifies them to be in the us category. We've talked about this before. God is not afraid of questions. It's not the question, but it's how you ask the question. Remember, the devil asked the question in the Garden of Eden, didn't he? Did God surely say to challenge God's word but if you remember later on, about eight or nine verses down, God asks a question. Adam, where are you? And he's asking a question. We Remember we said this before, the enemy asks questions to distort truth. And God asks questions to reveal truth. Adam, where are you? He's trying to show him something. He's trying to reveal to him, you've become separated. You're outside of that covering that we had. You're outside of that covenant that we had in place. You're outside of this assignment. And and, and then you submitting to us empowers your authority and, 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 and the earth submitting to you. He's helping them see something. And so the disciples come and they ask a question. They say, why do you speak to them different than you speak to us? Why are you speaking to them? And then they say this, Why do you speak to them in parables? They recognize immediately there's a, a principle here in place. You're using a tactic. You're using something that if people will really understand what's happening, it'll draw them closer. There is a way to ask questions that draw you closer, not push you further away. Doubt and unbelief will separate and push you further away. Well, why would God do that? Or you can ask the same question with an intentionality to be drawn closer. God, what are you trying to show me? You see the difference? Same question. One is challenging the character and nature of God, and the other is is, is trying to reveal the uh, Father-like nature of God that says, I'm trying to bring you in closer to me. See, that's the thing is if God's not going to get louder, I'm going to have to get closer. You ever notice that? If, if, if God's not getting any louder, he's not going to shout at you. It's a still, small voice. I mean, it's the furthest thing away from a loud, big voice, a stirring and a shaking voice. It's a, don't go there. Don't do that. Change this. Let that offense go. Put aside that bitterness and resentment. Love on that person. Buy that person groceries. Show them my love. Lay hands on the sick. He, 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 he's, he, he's quietly and, and, and peacefully leading and guiding us, which means if there's a lot of noise, if there's a lot between us, I'm going to have to remove some stuff out of the way and get, what, what, what were you saying? I'm going to have to tune my ear. Remember those radio stations back in the day? Our, our old, uh, I think it was a Cadillac that we had, uh my parents could confirm. I, I'm pretty sure it was a cat I was about seven, eight years old. And it had the little rectangle screen with the little peg that goes this way. And you go and, and it's all the noise in between. And you're just hearing stuff along the way until you what? Tune it to the all the digital. My son would have no idea. He's like, what are you talking about? You just hit the button, Dad. Hit the preset. There's no preset. You're you're and if you wanted to change radio stations, I mean there was no just flip right through. I've got Sirius XM. That's easy, man. You just hit the button. No, you had to be intentional to get to it. And sometimes you'd be right on the fringe, but it's still a little bit of static. Just a little bit. Ah, oh, there it is. Boom. Sweet spot. We need to find the sweet spot in 2023. You say, Pastor Mark, you're a little early. That's how you do these things. You don't prepare for the game in the game. It's called Preseason. I've started using December as my preparation for the next year. I'm not just trying to finish something. I'm trying to start something. Amen. And so I'm trying to find that sweet spot. I'm trying to dial that thing in. And I've got to get closer. But the Father invites these questions. Why do you speak to them? What what is it that you're, you're not providing them that you're providing to us? There's an us and there's a them. We talk a lot about the revealed word of God, but we don't talk much about the concealed word of God. And this is what he says in verse 11. Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted. To you it has been granted. Now, granted isn't God just picking and choosing. Granted is someone is qualified and someone is not. Uh, We don't like that in the church. But there are qualifiers. There are qualifications to meet, not to become, but because. You understand the difference? I'm not trying to become qualified. I am qualified. Now I just need to walk in what I already have available and accessible to me. And not everyone takes that step. They'll get out on the side of the mountain, then they'll follow and they'll listen to a good message, but they won't press in and lay all aside to say, what do you mean by that? I, I need more. I need, I need to press into that. I, I need to know exactly where you're going. I need to know exactly what you're doing. I believe this is a year we need to know specifics. We need to know exactly where God wants us to be. Discernment needs to go to another level. Because I know this, deception is high when devotion is low. Deception runs uh, uh, rampant where there is no tight-knit devotion to the heart of the Father. We're going to need to be directly in that sweet spot in tune. He says, it's been granted to you to know the, here it is, mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Again, we've said this before. The mystery is not to hide it and keep you from it. It's to cause you to press into it. And the search reveals the value. How badly you want to know, how badly you want to press in, how much I I refuse to let that seed lay on the surface. I refuse to receive it with joy and then walk out and be discouraged by the first bill that shows up Monday morning, by the first opportunity to get offended, by the first challenge that meets me uh, Sunday afternoon. I refuse to let that word slip away. I refuse to allow that word to go in but become unfruitful and yield no harvest. I refuse that. I press in. I do the necessary things beyond this place. Remember we said this, meditation is what you do after you've heard. Meditation doesn't happen in here. This is the sowing of the seed. But now what you do with it is beyond. And as much as I'd like to, I can't come to your house tomorrow morning and say, all right, let's preach that morning. Get your Bible out. Get your notebook. Let's do it again. We've got podcasts. You can listen to it again because faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? No, there's some work to be done beyond so that it can be revealed. It's been granted to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But look what he says. But to them, it has not been granted. Again, not because God is a respecter of persons, not because God is picking and choosing, not because God says, you get it, you get it, you don't. And also recognize that God is not, uh, you know, uh, God, God is not, You know, Oprah Winfrey, you get a word and you get a word and you get a word and you get a word. Why? Because he's recognizing until you have stewarded what you have, you cannot get more. We go on and we see that in the next verse in verse 12. For whoever has to him, more shall be given and you will have an abundance. It says, man, I I would love in 2023 to be a year marked by abundance of word not a lack of word, no more muddy waters, no more cloudy thinking, no more, well, God, did he mean this or did he mean that? No more vagueness. Let's understand and know the word and the will of God, and then follow that fully, follow that fully. But he says to him who has, uh, more will be given. He will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has, What a weird sentence. You don't have, but even what you have. What does that mean? How can you not have, but have? And then what I didn't think I had, because I didn't know I had it, but I really had it. I don't have it, and it's taken away from me. That verse needs some explaining. Y'all ever read a verse that needed some explaining? Come on, anybody been perplexed? Like, new King James Version. I need a new new King James Version. I need the newest King James Version. New's only halfway there. Whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. I mean, that's just an awful place. I didn't even know I had it, and now it's being taken away from me. And if I'd known I had it, maybe I would have taken care of it. Therefore you know that word therefore right therefore need to find out what it's there for therefore i speak to them in parables here it is because while they while seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear nor do they understand Man, Father, we commit ourselves to hearing with ears to hear and seeing with eyes to see in Jesus' name. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says you'll keep on hearing, but will not understand. You'll keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the hearts of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. What's on the other side of the hearing and the seeing? Healing. You may have heard me pray this. I I, I pray it often. I pray it almost every single service over you uh, in my office as well as on this platform. Father, I pray today that we will both be receptive and responsive. Be receptive to receive and respond to obey. Say that with me. Say, I have ears to hear and a heart to respond. There's two actions and both are necessary. Both are necessary. And I want to tie the connection together because just because we have ears doesn't mean we hear, apparently. Just because we have eyes doesn't mean we see. Just because we have minds doesn't mean we comprehend. Just because we have hearts doesn't mean we believe. There's a two-fold action that's apparently needed for this thing to fully work. He's given an entire parable about seed being sown on four different types of soil to produce this and to show us this and reveal this to us that it's not what you hear, but it's how you hear it. It's not what God says, but it's how you receive it. It's not what the sower sows, but it determines that determines the fruitfulness, but it's what we do with what is sown that determines the fruitfulness. Keep your finger there in... Matthew 13, and go with me to Romans 10. Romans 10. Whenever you see something repeated in the word, that offers a level of importance and value to it. Whenever you see something repeated consistently, It's important to note the repetitions, the reminders. What do we say at Anchor Faith Church about reminders? God's reminders are just as important as God's revelation. Being reminded of something should hold the same weight and value as the initial first time we heard it. Amen. Remember the first time that light bulb went off? Remember the first time it plucked your ears? Remember the first time it drew you in? Remember the the reminder should have the same weight and value. Never, ever sit back and, oh, again. Yes, again. Remember one pastor I had, he said, when you get it, I'll stop preaching it. (laughs) Apparently we need to keep hearing it. And we need to keep hearing it. And I want to keep hearing it. I always want to posture myself with the weight and value for the word. I always want to posture myself on the edge of my seat, leaning in with intentionality. Not just what I hear, but how I hear it. Not disengaged. Not, you know, I know pastors that make a, a big deal of the how long they preach. Is it too long? Is it too short? You know, what does that look like? If you can sit in a movie for three hours, why can't you sit in a service for one hour? I get it. But attention, attention spans at the end of the day are growing smaller and smaller. Why? Because we have attention spans for the wrong things. Because <laughs> we can scroll and scroll and you never realize there's never an end. Ever realized that? I mean, I've never opened up Facebook and just scrolled and scrolled, and at the bottom says, there are no more feeds for today. Go find something else to do. It will let you scroll all the live long day. They will make up stuff. He's scrolling. throw, Throw something else in there. Throw another ad in there. Sell them something else. Show them that funny video. You started out watching cat videos and now you're watching wrestling videos. How do I even get here? The sidebar lured me in. Some Gen Z, Gen Y, whatever they call them, is gonna find the end of that, that thing and it's gonna be like, you have run out of, you have watched every YouTube video there is. There is nothing else. Go do something else with your life, please. That's gonna be a long while off. We are great at consuming content (laughs) we are phenomenal consumers but Matthew 13 is not about consuming it's about contributing you get to the end of that story and somebody's yielding a harvest somebody's producing fruit somebody is giving something away what is what are we doing with what we're filling ourselves is the answer and I believe I could preach a message in 30, 45, uh, 60 minutes, whatever that looks like. And, it, and, and the, again, not the quality, but the quantity of the word go into your heart. At the end of the day, if I preach three hours and you walk out of here and do nothing, but I preach 30 minutes and you apply that, that's more important to me. Some pastors get prideful. I, we, we went for three hours today and did what? And what are you doing with all that? Now, again, God's not against time, friends. If we have a, just a Holy Ghost time, I, I remember the, one of the most amazing times I've had teaching the word was in another country. I taught for two hours. And they say, you know, when you have a translator, you're really doubling it. Maybe I just taught for an hour and it just, but they were on the edge they did not care. We were outside. We were in, um, you know, those those plastic white uh, you know, chairs uh, that you, you buy, like the outdoor chairs. You know, they're not even indoor chairs. They're outdoor chairs. They're sitting in those. They do not have desks to write on. They're, 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 you're doing all this, you know, got their Bible in one. They got a translator. They, they got a, a I, I had a, a microphone and a speaker. It's probably something you could get from Toys R Us. I mean, I, I'm serious. We make a big deal out of these things. They had way less than what you guys get every weekend, and they're on the edge of their seats. Don't stop. We had to break at one point. It's just part of the schedule and the dinner was ready and, 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 and you know they did not want to go. It's about what you're filling the time with. But I, 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 I do have a hard time when people say, well, it's just went too long. That, movies are getting longer and longer these days. And those chairs aren't that much more comfortable. You need a cup holder, I can get you a cup holder. Now our movie theater, I didn't forget, they've got the lazy boys that go back and y'all, y'all been to our movie theater, yeah. I can't compete with that. And don't get any ideas. We ain't putting those in. And the new sanctuary won't have them either. But we will have different color chairs because black shows you everything. Can I get an Amen. Anybody that's ever scraped every cat hair that you guys bring in here off of those chairs? We're going to start rolling you down at the doors when you come in. Okay, you're good. Next. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. he only knew what we do here week to week. He's just in there praying and reading the Bible. Nope, I'm scraping cat hair off of chairs. That's what I'm doing. Oh, where did I tell you to go? Romans chapter 10, verse 16. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Verse 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Guys, if we're not careful, we'll just go right over these verses and not really look at what's being said. Faith comes by what? But hearing comes by what? This is the answer to the, even the one that doesn't have, even what he has will be taken away. This is your answer. What does that mean to the one that has, the one that does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Even if you don't have a word, you have the capacity to hear a word. We got to break this apart. We got to look at this because a lot of us aren't missing it in the word. God, I need a word. We're missing it in the capacity to even hear the word. Faith comes by hearing. Now, if this read the way we all read it to read, Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Then let's all get our YouVersion Bible apps and just hit play from Genesis 1 and just listen to it all day long, and you'll have the faith of Kenneth E. Hagan and Smith Wigglesworth by the end of the week if faith comes by hearing the word. But that's not the way my Bible reads it. There's two parts to this statement. Faith comes by hearing. But hearing, let me clarify that, the ability to hear comes by the word of Christ. When someone says, I need to hear the voice of God or I wish I heard the voice of God or I want to hear the voice of God more. The first place I take them to is not the voice of God, it's the word of God. If we're struggling in hearing the voice of God, we're probably deficient in in reading the word of God. You would be amazed at how easily you would hear his voice, know his will, if you're in his word. One thing that's been revealed over the last couple of years in the church is how biblically illiterate many in the church are. How deficient we are in really giving time and attention to scripture to elementary doctrine, elementary principles, making the word a, 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 a invaluable part of our daily routine that it cannot be missed. Now I'm preaching to the choir. I'm in the category. There's days as, Oh man. Yeah. I'm standing up here as a pastor. Doesn't happen often, but There's 24 hours in my day just like there's 24 hours in your day. And sometimes I'll get to the last hour and be like, wow, just something disrupted my routine, something disrupted my devotion, something something misplaced that. You've got kids at home. We've got games to get to. uh, We've got jobs. We've got families. We've got all the, the accumulated stuff. And before you know it, this. And this is the thing about the word as we're trying to help understand is it's not just squeezing it in at the end of the day. I mean, if you want to waste your time, I mean, do that with your wife or your husband. Just squeeze the time in whenever you can make it happen. I understand there's seasons we go through where it's like, man, there's not a lot of margin. But but when you truly honor and value something, you make the time and everything else has to revolve around this. You see the difference. It's the value and the honor for it, not just the activity and practice of it. Well, he's letting us know that if if my hearing by the word of Christ is compromised, then my strengthening of my faith from my hearing is compromised. They're connected, they're connected. I wish I could stand here before you today and just say, just the mere practice of reading the Bible and just getting it in whenever you can will strengthen your faith. But what we're, what, we're, what we're missing is, even if you might not have, you have the capacity to have. And this is what he says. Even if you don't have, but you have the capacity, that will eventually be taken from you as well. You'll lose the ability I didn't put them all in my notes. Maybe I should have, but I could, there's several passages that talk to us about becoming dull of hearing. What does that mean? You've lost the capacity to hear. And when you've gotten on that side, now you're not just worried about hearing. Now you're worried about the ability to hear. I, I wouldn't even recognize it if it slapped me in the face. And this is the biggest thing. Not only would I not recognize it, I won't do it. Now the practice of the word is compromised. The application of the word, the word yielding results and fruit in my life is com- All of this is compromised when I end up in the category of dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. There's an attack on the next generation in this country more than I've ever seen in my entire life. More than has ever existed on this planet. And the attack, starting at three or four, guys, the attack is the fight for content. What content will they naturally learn to consume at a young age? Because if I, if I naturally consume the wrong content, I'll be pre, predisposed, is that a word? I will have a natural intentionality to resist the right content. This is what we don't think. We, don't, we, we think I can consume this, I can consume that, and I can watch this, I am gonna watch that, and I can check out on this and check this and do this. And then when I get to the word, I'll still have a, 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 a responsiveness to the word. No, you won't. Because this, this, and that, that, and all this, and over here is, is restricting my ability to hear this. May it just be a good question for all of us, especially those of you that your teenagers or preteens or pre-preteens have cellular devices. They are being trained to consume content. It's not just a, a device that they can call home when they're in trouble, or that you can shoot them a text and let them know where you're going to be. It is a Content-consuming device, and their spirit is consuming, not just their eyes. Those are the, these are just the gates, guys. This, this right here and this right here, that's just the gate. And Jesus is trying to say, you've, you've, you, you, you have messed up the gate. Eyes to see, ears to hear. We're, we, we, it can't even get in. But once it gets in, it should be making entrance into your heart. It's just like our natural diet. You eat enough of the wrong stuff, you will not have a desire for the right stuff. You'll have to train yourself to eat right. You'll have to force in the right stuff. So we consume, we consume, we consume, and then we get a sickness diagnosis in our body, and all of a sudden, I need the right stuff. And not just... Okay, I'm just going to get a bunch of faith scriptures and watch some healing scriptures online and listen to Brother Hagin in my ears and and, and just play some peace music. Now, I'm not having to retrain my spirit to even want that in my life. Because you know what you want is you want, this isn't going to work out. I'm going to die. The doctor believes this. I'm going to be restricted to just garbage. So it's not even, well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we can like just hit this switch. Let me put on the word of God then. You have compromised the capacity to hear. That could take, I mean, hopefully by the spirit of God, he will enable you and reveal things to you. But that could take a long time and you may not have a lot of time. Come on, I'm preaching really good right now. (laughs) When it's not in my notes, I know it's good. It could take two or three months just to get your spirit to the place to want to hear the word of God. I can tell. I can tell when someone calls on us because something dire is going on, something in their marriage, something in in their body, something in their life, crisis hits, I can tell where their diet's been. I can tell what they've been consuming. And I know when I've got an uphill battle just to get this individual to a place where they can even think to believe in the word of God. We're not even at the faith comes by hearing yet. We're just at the hearing by the word of Christ. Well, I've got to get up to that plateau. Then from there, we can start strengthening faith. But right now, not, there's been no content of the word. There's no been con, there's no, there has not been any consuming of the word. So faith is kind of on the back burner a little bit. We'll get there when we get there. Right now, I gotta work on your spirit because right now your spirit doesn't even wanna hear anything I'm giving it. Bias strives, on you. I, I mean, you can say that, but you're not believing it and, you're, and, and your ears, and, and really, honestly, it, it's almost like I don't wanna hear that word right now. I wanna wallow in fear. Come on, you met those kind of people? They don't even want the right word. Whew, that's such a difficult place to be. That's the dole of healing, hearing he's talking about. That's the, into the one that doesn't have. Even what he does have will be taken away. He goes on in this passage Paul does in Romans. Verse 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Let me show you that verse real quick in the, um, because this this just gives you the clarity in the Passion Translation, verse 17. Faith then is birthed in a heart, here it is, that responds. So I first have to work on your response to God's word before I can work on your faith in God's word. Remember I said, Pray that we will be both receptive and responsive. Pray that we will be both ones that will receive the word and then respond to the word that's received. But but if you notice here, it, it might seem a little weird. You think receiving comes before responding. And he says, no, no, no. I first need you to respond, then you'll receive. It's the other way around. I tell people, say, I want to hear God's voice. Or maybe they're in a, a certain predicament. I need to know God's will on this matter. I need to know. My answer is always this. Say yes before the command. A willing heart will get you much further than listening ears. You respond before the word comes. A yielded heart to God's voice will open up your eyes and your ears to God's word. If you're reading this with its, with the doubt and unbelief, not just questions, we already addressed, you can have questions as long as they bring you closer to God. But if you're reading this with, well, you got to prove it to me. If you're reading it well, if I see it, if you're reading it well, if if that guy explains it a certain way, that's not a yielded heart. Eventually you're going to find yourself in the dull of hearing category. The responsiveness comes before the receiving. I set myself in a posture, a yielded heart, Attracts the voice of God. A yielded heart. God is looking and saying, "Now I can speak. Now I can bring a word. Now I can show a way. Now I can bring correction." I, I mean, have you ever tried to correct someone that's not teachable? I got any? <laughs> look straight ahead. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I can I get you in trouble real quick on that one. Got anyone that's ever coached before? Coached in athletes and in, in sports in and any sport? The kids, I mean, it, 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 you get you get one of two. And then there's, there's this anomaly that's right in the middle. Very few kids. But most of them are in the great talent, bad attitude. Great attitude, not a lot of skill. And one or two are right in the middle. Great attitude, can be coached, can be taught. Yes, sir. Yes, coach. (laughs) I've done some coaching. I wasn't prepared for that. It's like, you know, why, why can't we have a mixture of the both? But I will take the one with the great heart, the great attitude, Yes, sir, shows up on time, is prepared, ready to go, follows commands, follows orders, wants to be, show it to me again. How do I do Did I do it right this time, coach? That's the, that's the one you want. That's the one. It's the heart that is teachable. It's the heart that is willing. It's the heart that is yielded. It's the heart that is responsive, that now is attractive to, man, let me show you more. Man, when you get, when you get that one kid that, that doesn't want to be taught, can't be coached, can't be told they're doing it wrong, can't be shown a better way, oh, fine, do it your way. Let all the ground balls go through your legs. I'm trying to show you the triangle position. You're not listening to me. Keep popping the ball up. Keep missing the fastball, whatever. Hello. You attract the voice of God when you're yielded to the word of God. Now he knows I've got someone that will steward my voice well because I don't cast my pearls before swine. The dole of hearing The writer of Hebrews told them in Hebrews chapter 11, you got to be retaught the elementary principle. We're having to teach you as a sophomore in high school basics that you should have gotten in t-ball. Because we spent so much time unteachable, unyielded, wrong heart. Wrong, I, you're having to, we, he said, you ought to be teaching others is what he said. You ought to be able to pass this on and show someone else. It is good. I agree with that word. Faith is birthed in the heart that responds to God's anointed utterance of the anointed one. But go back to the New American Standard, guys, in verse 18. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed, they have heard Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation, by a nation without understanding, I will anger you. Meaning the the ones that are yielded and responsive, we even without understanding, without knowing, oh, I know, we all think we're in that category. God, if I understand it, I'll do it. Mm-mm. God says, if you would do it, you would understand it. And you're going to watch others get promoted that simply respond out of simple obedience without having to know and without having to understand. And you're going to watch them get stuff you've been praying for and praying for and praying for, but you haven't been teachable and yielded in your heart. Their yielded response before I spoke is attracting my words to, to direct them and lead them and guide them. He said, you'll be offended by it. Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, all the day long, I have stretched out my hands to, here it is, a disobedient and obstinate people. Verse 21 in the Passion translation says, then he capped it with a damning indictment. Day after day after day, I beckoned Israel with open arms and got nothing for my trouble but cold shoulders and icy stares. In John chapter 12, John chapter 7. John chapter 7. I remember... Kenneth Hagan had a story, he, he went out on the evangelistic field, he pastored for 12 years, pastored different churches, felt the Lord call him out to travel and minister. And when he was pastoring, he was doing well, had a parsonage, finances were doing well, being paid, but as an evangelist, he wasn't doing well didn't have the income coming in, had a family back home that he's leaving. Uh, you know, he, he, I think he would come home on a sun, uh, Monday morning, be there Monday, Tuesday, and then start another revival Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then travel back home. And there was no airfare back then. It was driving all over the place. He's sacrificing all this. He's living in a tiny little uh, apartment type uh, house. Uh, when, when pastor Hagan's here, uh, in March for the living faith crusade, he'll tell you all about it, uh, because he lived on the back end of that thing as a child growing up that way. You hear it from brother Hagan. You hear this great faith story. And from pastor Hagan, he's like, I didn't want nothing to do with ministry. Cause if this is what it's like, I don't want nothing to do with it. Brother Hagan finally went to the Lord and said, you asked me to come out here. I'm obedient. You said, if the willing and the obedient, would they, they, if you were willing and obedient, you'd eat the good of the land. I'm not eating the good of the land. I'm not even scraping the bottom of the barrel. I'm under the barrel. You heard the story. And God said, read that again. He said, the willing and the obedient. He said, you're obedient. But you weren't willing. He said, don't tell me it takes a long time to get willing. I got willing about 10 seconds. It saw that thing turn around. It wasn't just the action. It wasn't just the religious activity. It wasn't just, I'm following, I'm following, I'm following you. It's the yieldedness of the heart that now God could start to show and reveal and do more in your life. In John chapter uh, seven, verse 16. So Jesus answered them and said, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. you go back uh, just a few verses before that they were were asking themselves who is this man that is preaching such astounding words and such astounding messages he says man this isn't man's word it's not coming from me it's not mine but look at what he says here in verse 17 if anyone is willing to do his will he will know of the teaching he's saying if you want to know what I'm talking about be willing and yielded to the words before I give them. Say, Father, I'll obey. Father, I'll yield. Father, I'll follow. Father, I will, I will go. See, see, Joshua and Caleb were yielded before they got into the promised land. Regardless of what I see, regardless what this trial shows me, regardless of the winds and the waves, if Jesus calls me out on the water and says, come, then I'm coming and I don't need to understand. I don't need to know. I, I, I can embrace the mystery of that because there really is no mystery at all because I'm standing on God's word. I'm not standing on water. I'm going into the promised land. What do we say? With a report, not to get a report. Well, how do you have that kind of firm foundation? How do you have that kind of a firm persuasion? How do you live that way? Faith comes by hearing, but hearing by the word of God. If you tune out God's voice in his word, you will tune out his voice and, and being heard when he's speaking and directing and guiding. They're directly correlated. They're directly tied to one another. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. So the willing to do leads us to the getting to know. You would be amazed at how your revelation will go through the roof when you have a heart that's yielded to the word that you know. In the Passion Translation, verse 17 says, if you want to test my teachings and discover where I receive them from or receive them, first be passionate to do God's will and then you will be able to discern if my teachings are from the heart of God or from my own opinions. Never be told by someone God can't do something by someone that doesn't even follow what they do know. There's many people that have given up on a faith in God because they've never applied the faith that they already have. Many people that will tell you that miracles aren't for today and this isn't for today and he's not doing that and he wants you broke and poor and destitute and all the other uh, little issues out there. They'll tell you that because they've never applied the word to see it really fulfilled in their lives. If you want to convince me that healing is not for today, you're too late. I've already seen it happen. (laughs) You're too late. I'm a lost cause. Tell me tongues and the Holy Spirit aren't for today. Too late. I've been doing this far too long for you to convince me otherwise. You know, there's there's a whole group of people that are deconstructing their faith. Well, if your faith is that easy to dismantle, maybe it wasn't founded on anything in the first place. My faith is not easy to dismantle. You would have to convince me with innumerable proofs that this is fake, God isn't real, his word isn't for today, he's not healing, his spirit's not moving, revival isn't coming to this country. You would have to, You would. and there's so many things just to even get me to even consider your thoughts. You wouldn't debate them? No, I wouldn't debate them. Why would I open myself up to disbelief from people that don't know the word? Come on now. We need a faith that can't be dismantled. We need a faith that can't be deconstructed. And many of these kids that are deconstructing their faith were only living it because they're in a a roof, under a roof, and in a house where their parents did it. They only believed in the God that their parents believed in. Amen. Amen. John chapter 12, verse 36. My faith can't be dismantled. My faith is unwavering. I'm not a, uh, the double-minded man, what does he say? Shouldn't believe he'll get anything of the Lord. Verse 36, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and he went away and hid himself from them. He's <laughs> it, it, right back into the mysterious phase. But though he had performed so many signs before them, watch this, yet they were not believing in him. What's that mean? He made it abundantly clear. Sophia. I'm gonna go hide myself until you believe in what I've already shown you. If you won't steward what you have, you're not going to get more. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. This is the third evidence I'm giving you today. Lord, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe for Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and he has hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, may even of the rulers believe, many of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. He's blinded their eyes. Verse 40 in the Passion Translation. We're at verse 37. Verse 37, even with the overwhelming evidence of all the many signs and wonders that Jesus had performed in front of them, his critics still refused to believe. Why? They were predisposed. You got to prove it. You got to show it. And you could see even the most obvious manifestations of God and still deny it. You ever seen that? An absolute miracle took place and there's still somebody in the room who says, ah, I don't know. Well, if you're predisposed to deny and disbelieve, it doesn't matter what you see. It doesn't matter what happens. But no, it's funny how little actually has to take place for those that truly believe. God doesn't have to build up this whole proof of evidence because faith is the evidence of things not seen. I don't need all these manifestations to believe. And miracles. I don't need, I, I've got the word of God and I've got his word sown into my heart and I have the capacity to hear and revelation flows from that. My faith is encouraged. My faith is strengthened. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But if you're not careful, even what you have will be taken away. Verse 40 says, God has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts to the truth. What does that mean? God has blinded, why would he blind their hearts, their, their eyes and why would he harden their hearts? Doesn't he wanna reveal himself? Doesn't he wanna show himself? Doesn't he wanna speak to them? Doesn't he wanna, how is he gonna reveal himself if their hearts are hardened and their eyes are blinded? That is the mercy of God. One of the most merciful acts God does is refusing to show you more than you can handle because if I show it to you and your heart is already predisposed to disobedience and obstinance and refusing to believe, you will be held accountable for it. I've had people tell me, man, if so-and-so could just get, they won't believe anything I say, but if they could just get to anchor faith, I said, do not bring them to anchor faith. Because I know what I say will not open things up. It will harden their heart. The same sun that melts the snow hardens the clay. Every time Moses went to Pharaoh, it was an opportunity to soften and respond. But Pharaoh was predisposed. You're not, I'm not letting you out of here. With innumerable manifestations. I mean, I'm letting them go on the first one. I don't remember what it was, but it was wasn't good. Was it the Nile turned into blood? Was that the first? I don't remember the first one. I let them go on the first. Like I ain't going through that. Get them out of here, please. Took ten. He lets him go, and then even then he goes and chases back after him. You know what? It ain't so bad. Lost his firstborn son, and still wants to go and chase him back down. That's a hard heart. That's a hardened heart. That's a blinded eye. Worship team, if you come, he says. It says, God blinded their eyes, hardened their heart. It goes on to say there in verse 40, so with their eyes and hearts closed, they cannot understand the truth nor turn to me so that I could instantly cleanse and heal them. The compromise, it's not God's fault because if they would just open up and yield their heart, God will show them more than they can even handle. With abundance, then we read that. He'll have and with abundance. I believe days of abundant revelation are coming to the church. Come on, just thank him right now for it. We just thank you right now, Father, for abundant revelation. Come on, if you're seeking a direction in your life for something, right now is the time to thank him. Lift your hands and thank him for abundant revelation. We follow abundant revelation. We follow with a sincere clarity, Holy Spirit. We know your voice. There's no guessing. There's no hoping. There's no wishing. There's no cloudiness. There's no fogginess. We receive abundant revelation because we have yielded willing hearts in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Abundant revelation. Maybe 2023 is the year of abundant revelation, but only because we get in tune. We raise the awareness and we heighten the sensitivity to the voice of God. Man, he's speaking. Man, he wants to show you. He wants to direct you. He wants to guide you. He wants this thing to be way easier than we've made it out to be, guys. He really does. He wants us to be led. Kenneth E. Hagin said that he said, the number one thing that the church is gonna need in the last day is men and women that can hear and obey the voice of the Holy Spirit, be led by the Holy Spirit. There is so much that is, vying for your attention and vying for your time and vying for your focus today have you noticed how distracted we can become and how easily distracted we can become why is that because the enemy knows a distracted church is a defeated church but the the focused church is on the rise the in tune church is on the rise the sensitive church is on the rise the believing church is on the rise the willing church is on the rise the yielded church is on the rise that's the church that will see and usher in the glory of God, the manifestations of the spirit. We are going to have to stop. There, there are people right now they are tugging at your emotions. Every politician's tugging at your emotions. The garbage that we're seeing in these elections, it's who can defame the other the worst. I don't even know what they stand for anymore. They talk about the other person more than they talk about themselves. Why? They want to tug at your emotions. Let's have a church led by the Spirit. Let's have a church that's discerning, knowing. That's what we need in these last days. How are we ever going to rise following the same messed up stuff everybody else follows? It's shifty sand. no way to be grounded. There's no way to be focused. There's no way to be reliant upon the Holy Spirit. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com.